meeting residents where they are is so essential. Oftentimes, community meetings are scheduled in a dark auditorium and at a time where most people are at work or they need to make dinner or figure out childcare. So being able to be flexible, understand times and the places that work best in the community and making sure that you're culturally sensitive. Los Angeles has a lot of Spanish speakers, so a lot of the workshops that we plan and organize always have Spanish translations, Spanish flyers, Spanish interpretation. So I think being able to add that element of knowing that every community is different and to not impose a, a norm uh, and adjust and adapt is really important. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we interview thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. If you like what we're doing here at Infinite Earth Radio, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a review in iTunes. This will increase our exposure and help us reach a bigger audience. Just go to our website, infiniteearthradio.com, and you'll find a link to our show in iTunes where you can leave us a review. Okay, let's get to today's show. Our topic today is authentic community engagement in gentrifying neighborhoods. Helen Learn, co-executive director of L.A. Moss, is passionate about community development and social equity with a focus in minimizing displacement in gentrifying neighborhoods. Amanda DeFloss serves as the director of innovation delivery for the city of Los Angeles mayor's office in partnership with the Bloomberg Philanthropies. Helen and Amanda, welcome and thanks for being with us today. Hello. Good morning. So, Helen and Amanda, why don't you guys each just tell our audience a little bit about your background and what motivates you to work so hard on issues of equity and smart growth and sustainability? Yes, I'm Helen Learn. My background is in urban planning and public policy. Before I joined my role at LA Moss, I worked for local government, actually, for our now mayor, Eric Garcetti, working in communities that are underrepresented, that don't have a lot of investment, mostly renters, mostly immigrants. And that experience for me was pivotal to actually laying my foundation for that potential between good government, between capacity building, between listening and working with communities can create such a meaningful difference. So I come from that background in my previous life. And personally, I grew up in a neighborhood that when I was growing up, I thought it was normal to have drive-by shootings and amazing neighbors. So the neighborhood that I have grown up in has now evolved into a neighborhood that many will call it. It's gentrifying or it has gentrified. And knowing that there is this space between the growth of a community and how those people can shape the future of their community is what has informed my passion for this work. And Helen, what is the community that you grew up in? I grew up in a neighborhood called Frogtown, located in Northeast Los Angeles. It's uh, adjacent to the Los Angeles River. Many people officially know it as Elysian Valley, and it's Frogtown because many years ago, decades ago, there were a lot of frogs that spilled out 
into the streets when the river overflowed. And I think more recently, many people may have heard of this neighborhood because it's adjacent to where the federal government has approved a potentially over a billion dollar investment in the Los Angeles River. Elysian Valley, yes. I know that community. So Amanda, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what motivates you to work so hard? Sure, sure. So prior to my role here in the city of Los Angeles, I actually worked for um, a consulting firm in their government practice for about 10 years and was very deliberate and determined to be in government because you know, I had created the opportunity to work at the federal, state, and then local level in terms of bringing new programs into government through what we would call innovative channels. So engagement at the community level to really inform and drive um, programming in, in government across all the levels. Prior to that, I worked in across a series of nonprofits and really had the opportunity, similar to Helen, to work closely with communities in terms of um, informing change in, in neighborhoods around very specific issues. So all of those things combined have just always been my passion in terms of bringing, you know, really community-led programming into government so that we can be responsive um, to how communities are changing and what communities and the people that live in them desire to see happening in the places that they live. And what was the community like that you grew up in? up in New York. Um, I grew up in Long Island, New York, and I think similar to Helen, I grew up in New York at a time when New York is a very different place than it is is now, and so watched a lot of change in both in New York City and then in the town that I grew up in. Saw a lot of change in the ways that now reflect back on it, and I think wish that they had more of, you know, an opportunity, you know, more role shaping the way that things actually turned out. Helen, can you give us a, a quick understanding of L.A. Moss? LAMOS is a fairly young organization. We've been around for two years. It is a cross-disciplinary nonprofit design organization. We are policy-driven, design-oriented, and we tend to really work in communities as outside kind of consultants. We're usually brought in by local government or a community organization to be creative in trying to engage the community in solutions and actually trying to implement them. We have a very strong social impact and social equity lens to our work. And our team is cross-disciplinary. My background is in policy and planning, and my co-executive director is an architect. And together, we kind of bring our skills to make sure that we drive policy and inject a sense of community-driven design and make sure our impact is long-term and sustainable. Great. Amanda, can you give us a quick idea of the Mayor's Office of Innovation in L.A. and also um, how the Bloomberg Philanthropies plays into that office? Absolutely. At large, the Mayor's Office of Budget Innovation is focused on uh, managing the budget for the city and then so oversees several different teams here in the city that, that are focused on different parts of innovation. And so, for example, there's one team that is focused on really all internal things in the city and how we operationalize new programming and look at the changes that we might need to make to things like some of the workers' comp work, all sort of internal programming that the city does. Um, and then my team, which is called the innovation team, and we are focused on external challenges that the city is interested in, in examining. My team is a team that's funded by Bloomberg Philanthropies. So in 2014, City of Los Angeles was one of 14 cities that won a grant to really look at and examine things what we would call big, hairy problems, and that the city is very interested in looking at, trying to take a different lens upon. So that is the team that, that I lead here in the city of Los Angeles and within the Mayor's Office of Budget and Innovation. Great. Thank you. 
So your new Partners for Smart Growth conference session focused on diverse community engagement initiatives, effective neighborhood-based programs, and new citywide policy endeavors in Los Angeles to ensure that low-income, underrepresented, and communities of color and their voice interests are protected in communities experiencing gentrification and growth. So let's start with community engagement initiatives. I think one of the takeaways from your session is that traditional models of community workshops are ineffective. So can you share some of the alternative approaches you would recommend? Yeah, let me start. I think in Los Angeles, there is a long history of kind of development seen as evil. And a lot of communities have been trying to take different approaches. So they're not just being NIMBYs, you know, not in my backyard. So we put together a panel that has community-based organizations representing a lot of different communities in Los Angeles where there is a long history of advocacy and organizing I think that oftentimes a lot of decisions that are made aren't necessarily informed by the community and community engagement efforts are more of a check off a box. Let's have a meeting. So we had a meeting and there isn't actually a real sense of the community having a voice in that. Decisions are actually brought to the workshop kind of almost ready to go. So I think a lot of our fellow panelists at our session will actually be able to share a lot of their approaches that come from ground up organizing that is attempting to be thoughtful to change policy, to concentrate resources and drive investment that's reflective of growth, but then also of the of a history and its culture and its community. Amanda, can you take a crack at that question as well, please? Sure, happy to. You know, I think one of the things that we're really interested in, you know, from a from a city point of view, our mayor has been very interested in engaging the community to really understand, you know, at the community level, what what is of interest. And as we look at our opportunity on my team to really think about this question of, as neighborhoods are changing, what are ways that we can be engaging you know, individuals and really thinking about what the future of Los Angeles looks like. And we've been really I think very dedicated to bringing in the community voice, but at a at a very resident focused level. So we've done things like um, spending time walking corridors and really going to where the residents are at. Um, so spending time in their businesses, understanding what's hard about working with the city, for example, from a business point of view. Uh, we've done we've brought the arts into how we engage our residents, and so by that I mean we've done you know, almost like a science fair format layout where we've invited citizens to really think through questions like, you know, what can LA look like in the future? Um, what are the ways that you would like to see the city invest their money? Um, these kinds of things. So almost in a participatory budgeting type format. So really going, I would say, to where residents are at and trying to ask them questions um, really from a city point of view, but in a new and well, not necessarily new, but in an interesting way that perhaps you're not necessarily used to engaging directly with government in. And I want to echo that Amanda's point about meeting residents where they are is so essential. Oftentimes, community meetings are scheduled in a dark auditorium and at a time where most people are at work or they need to make dinner or figure out childcare. So being able to be flexible and understand what are the times and the places that work best in the community and making sure that you're culturally sensitive. Los Angeles has a lot of Spanish speakers, so a lot of the workshops that we plan and organize always have Spanish translation, Spanish flyers, Spanish interpretation. So I think being able to add that element of knowing that every community is different and 
to not impose a, a norm uh, and adjust and adapt it is really important. So you've both given really great examples of how to ensure that underrepresented populations are part of the process. But what have you gleaned that are some of the principles or best practices to ensure that these populations are really represented in decision making? I think really, you know, not to hit it again, but really going to where people are at and actually asking questions. And so by that, I mean, you know, going with a set of questions that perhaps engages folks in a way that they've not been engaged before that allows a government or allows an organization like LA Moss to really elicit feedback, um, but feedback in a way that, that we can use. Um, and I think then it becomes the job of organizations and, and those that are asking the questions to really roll that up, if you will, and try to inform policy or inform the decisions that we're making um, based on what we hear in our communities. Sometimes that is a very hard thing to do. If you're doing you know, big public meetings, some folks don't necessarily feel comfortable in either attending or even speaking up when they're there. And um, so how do you go to where residents are at, take that feedback, aggregate it, and then figure out a way to you know, really weave that in into the way that we think about not just the future of LA, but the very micro things that we're doing and make decisions that are informed by the way that people are seeing the future of their community and the things that they want to see in their community. I also want to add that I think that communities are always changing. There are always newer voices because people move in and move out. And it's important that in these processes that they're iterative. It's not just one moment in time informing what's going to happen for the next five years and having that set in stone. It's figuring out how to incorporate and embed into these processes that inform where investments are being placed, where programming is had. And being able to continuing to kind of update the community can keep them informed and make sure there's plenty of room for changes because perhaps something that the community will say today may not necessarily be relevant in six months or a year or five years as the community changes. Our communities are undergoing a lot of change. There are always new people moving in and people moving out and to make sure to be inclusive of all those voices is really important. I mean, it is an ongoing conversation, therefore a level of comfort with knowing that that's the case and really being able to have that two-way dialogue in formats that reach lots of different people. And there are so many different technologies available now. The things we used to do don't necessarily make sense and the things that we're doing today probably won't make sense in the future in terms of how we interact. Is it Twitter? Is it email? Is it community meetings? How do you invest in the things that reach the most people? to find the ways that you diversify your communication so that you are having that two-way conversation, uh, knowing that over time things inevitably have to change. So, so this is a, a topic that's very near and dear to Bernice and I, because we feel very strongly that if, if we don't revitalize communities in a way that lifts up the existing residents, then we're just you know, we're moving pieces around on the board. We're, we're pushing problems to other places. So beyond making sure that the voices of these underrepresented communities are heard, what are the neighborhood-based programs that can be implemented to ensure the social and economic interests of current residents are protected? How do we keep these folks from being pushed out as really necessary private investment occurs in these, in these neighborhoods? I would say that a, a lot of ways that communities are unique and special, filled with the people and the businesses that have been there for a long time, is often a stake in property and ownership. 
And obviously that is very hard in Los Angeles. We are very expensive housing. So I think some important strategy to really think about is make sure that there is a range of social economic levels. To what extent can we highlight that Los Angeles has a rent stabilization ordinance that protects renters from huge increases in rent, but yet still gives landlords the right to raise the rents and to to make sure that there are enough opportunities so that if a community ends up kind of evolving to kind of a higher rental market, that are there places where in addition to rent control, that there are some affordable units. And I think the second point is also a lot of businesses, mom and pop shops in Los Angeles, some of them may not have leases they've or they've had the pleasure of having lower rent. And as neighborhoods become more desirable, then that may no longer be the case. So it's a, I think it's also important to help those small mom and pop businesses either have longer term leases, become property owners, or have the support to be able to have their business operations continue to serve the customers that they've been serving for years, but perhaps also appeal and tailor to newer community members that have moved in. And I think that across Los Angeles, there are a lot of small businesses that are able to demonstrate that, but not enough. I also want to acknowledge that in addition to neighborhood councils in Los Angeles, there are a set of amazing community-based corporations or community-based nonprofits, organizations like the East LA Community Corporation or Little Tokyo Services Center. They are truly in many ways able to make sure that private investment kind of benefits a lot of the communities that they serve because they're the ones who are making the private investments. So they sometimes have the ability to incubate small businesses, to build housing, to own community space. And I think that is a model that doesn't get enough funding, but they are really something to look towards in terms of potential strategies to make sure that the private investment is actually community driven. Fantastic. Thank you guys very much. And I want to really want to reiterate, thank you for really diving deep and it's clear you guys put a lot of time into the questions and just I'm sure the preparation process was is, was endless so um, thank you again for thinking of us and giving us the opportunity to share our thoughts thank you so much we appreciate the opportunity and thank you all for listening and we look forward to seeing you all again on the next episode of Infinite Earth Radio Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, the Local Government Commission, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash infinite earth radio and Twitter by following at infinite earth radio.